Welcome to episode 96 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are Ryan Topp and James Anderson, assistant baseball editor and lead prospect analyst for Rotowire. James, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, guys. I'm really excited to be here. I'm, I'm, it, we, I'm glad I get to be with James this time because I think last time it was it was, it was, it was uh, JP. Yeah. Right. So, and this time you actually get to talk about baseball, like real baseball that's happening as opposed to spring training. I think we just did a preview last time, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, we're, we're not in the best stretch of the season to be talking brewers but uh happy to be back nonetheless yeah this should be a good one if you want to sit and complain if you have a list of complaints (laughs) about the team the airing of grievances yes we'll get out the uh the festivus poll and just air the grievances so do you you have your checklist of everything that's wrong with the team right now that we're going to rattle off uh I can just look at my text conversations with my dad from the past <laughs> week or so, and it's just a, a laundry list of complaints. So I'm guessing they don't hit well with runners in scoring position. <laughs> that's that's the, a dad. The sky is falling. Yeah, that's a dad comment. Oh, they can't <laughs> knock in those runners in scoring position. They're not clutch. So, uh, hey, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And James, what's your uh, Twitter handle for everybody? At RealJRAnderson. So no fake J.R. Andersons. <laughs> Only real uh, J.R. James- Andersons. James Anderson's a tough name uh, if you want to go get a Twitter handle that is anything close to your name. So you would have had to a little creative with that. You would have had to have been on Twitter in like, I don't know, 2005 <laughs> when nobody knew what it was. <laughs> right. So in the John Perry Barlow era. Pretty much. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon Four brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like dragon flute block party and their flagship fantasy factory IPA. Some of the current summer seasonals now available and some of the spring ones, I guess as well. Right. I would imagine so. Uh, Tokyo Sauna Pale Ale is probably still out there. Fruit Punch Fantasy Factory. Raticats New England Style IPA. Uh, you can look for America AF Watermelon Kolsch. And I think Raspberry uh, Fantasy Factory is coming back. Yeah, on the 28th. James, you know? I do not know. I know that uh, the America AF is is really going down smooth. Uh my wife's a big fan of that one, so that's that's kind of what we've been drinking lately. Well, it's finally getting warm enough to drink that one because that's right. that's a warm weather beer. Yeah, it's an outdoor beer. Yeah, we we've moved out of the weather for all the the stouts and porters and everything that we've had to keep drinking. Yes. Of course, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I I did just pick up some yesterday, but yes that's it's not in season at the moment no so hey also you can get 20 percent off of merch at carbon four's web store with the promo code mke tailgate as always check out carbon4.com for more information carbon four beer brilliance this was a tough week for the brewers there's no way around that yeah it really sucked like it was awful i mean there's no way to kind of go well but this good thing happened i mean they won on saturday like so that's (laughs) nice we're we're coming to you on sunday morning so we are sitting in the comparative afterglow of that compared to the rest of this nonsense and even friday night game almost broke me my brother sent me a text message going i think your brain's broken (laughs) 
Are you sure that was because you were watching the game? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it's like, you seem really mad at Derek Dietrich, and I'm like, yes, I'm insanely angry at him. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, the Brewers are in San Diego. They drop three. They get swept, so they don't look good there, and the pitchers are getting knocked around, uh, especially in a hitter's park. You aren't expecting that. Um, and then they drop the first two of the Reds. They win on Saturday, and it's not like Saturday's win was an easy win either. I mean... Uh, James, let's let's start out in San Diego. Uh, Yuli Chassin comes back. Uh, they win two, or they were shut out two to nothing. Sorry. Um, I guess what were your impressions of Chassin getting back on the mound? Because with the way they've been pitching lately, they're going to need him to start to kind of regain some of that magic he had last season. Yeah, I mean, I thought he looked decent in the start against the Padres. Uh, obviously, it would have been nice if he could have gone a little deeper into that one. But, um, you know, I, I think he kind of looks like he should be somewhat capable of, of giving them sort of like back-end starter production over the rest of the season. Uh, I got to apologize. There's a train going by my uh, apartment right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think Chassin looked about as good as I was hoping him to look uh, in the Padres start. But, I mean, he's just not the same guy he was last year, and I don't think we should have been expecting him to repeat that performance. Uh, it would have been nice, I think, if he'd been a little better to date this season. But, I mean, Chassin's not very high on the list of things I think are, are wrong with the team right now. I guess, Ryan, what are what are our adjusted expectations for Chassin going forward? Since, again... I mean, he was so good late in the season last year because he had some rough stretches as well. He wasn't perfect all season long. Well, he started really poorly and then kind of got it together. I know there were a lot of people kind of in May-ish ready to be done with him and just like, well, this was a mistake. Let's not keep him around. And then he reeled off a, a really solid run of starts. He doesn't need to be particularly good. I think they have, you know, Woodruff and Davies for that. And I think there's some other potential guys in there, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, the fact that he just doesn't seem to get deep into games at all anymore is the the troublesome part. Because that at least was something he was able to do last year. Even when he wasn't great, I think he was generally getting a little bit deeper into the games than he has this year. And, like, on the game against the Reds, they had to basically leave him in there to kind of just grind it out. Even though I think they were pretty clear it wasn't. Like, he was going to give up runs if they kept him in there, and they pulled him before he could get that last out, which would have made him eligible for the win, even though they were up, because they just didn't trust that he could get that last out, which is, yeah, I mean, that's it's a pretty big indictment of where he is at the moment, but you're also looking at a guy who did just come back. This is his you know first two starts off the DL. I think we need to give it a little bit more time, and it's not like they have at the moment, great options to replace him. So maybe down the road, Gio Gonzalez could potentially replace him, but you're not going to put really anybody else in there in his spot at the moment. So I think you just have to let it ride a while. Uh, James, what's different about Chassin this season? I mean, is there something with his uh, repertoire, is his, uh, it's his sliders, his main pitch, I mean, that he's not able to locate? Is it not quite, you know, getting that break that it had last year? What, what exactly do you think is the main issue? You know, I think he's been nibbling a lot, and I think he's maybe 
you know, in the, with the juiced ball and just the, the hitting environment that we're dealing with right now, I don't think he really trusts his stuff. And I, I don't know if his stuff is good enough for him to just go after guys. Um, so I think you see the nibbling because he's, he's worried about giving up the long ball, and that sort of leads to these inefficient outings. Yeah, he did get into sort of a stretch last year where he was attacking hitters much better than what we've seen this year. And some of that may just be his command. He, he doesn't trust it as much as he did last year as well. It, it's hard to know. But I think it's a good point. The, the juiced ball thing, it's affecting everybody. And I think especially kind of marginal pitchers are they're feeling the effects of it because it's just so easy to get a ball out of the yard now. Like it, it's not a difficult thing for, you know, most hitters in most situations, they can get it out now. So it, it puts a guy with modest stuff like Chassin in a tough bind. Yeah, it took a juice ball for uh, Mike Moustakas to start winning vehicles for people. He almost won another one. <laughs> on Was that Friday night? Uh, no, on Saturday. Saturday? Okay, yeah. yeah. He almost, almost won another one for a, a lucky fan. So uh, let's see. What else in San Diego? We had uh, you said Ryan wrote this down. A mediocre start for Brandon Woodruff. Yeah, four runs in in six innings. Like especially at night in San Diego, that's not great. And there was an article on MLB.com um, that they were talking about. He's looking to rebound from that, so he views it as something that's not sure a great start. Well, and it doesn't help. Okay, so we there was a stretch there where it felt like the Brewers would never score another run, let alone win a game. Yeah, I mean, and it was weird because okay, so they got shut out two nothing, then they lost four to one. Night games in San Diego, though. I mean, that's kind of part of the deal. Yeah, but then they've lost games where you know they've scored seven runs twice in the, this run where they were having a tough time. So it's been a whole team effort as far as what it takes to lose these games. And I, I think it's worth pointing out that the the two first starts in against the Padres, it was Joey Lucchese and Logan Allen, two lefties. And this lineup, just the way that guys are hitting right now, it's really, I think, susceptible to significant struggles against lefties, uh, just given the fact that Kane's struggling, Braun is kind of in a bit of a rut. So uh, I think the, the matchups kind of dictated those struggles in those first two games. Yeah, I mean, do they have any answers? You know, a guy who's maybe a right-handed hitter that could, you know, face these lefties and provide a boost to the lineup? What are we going to do, a Keston Hero episode four weeks running now? <laughs> like... <laughs> I, yeah, I mean that they have uh, they have that guy. Uh, they do, uh, and he's at at AAA. But I mean, I, I still think you know it's it's really been a shame that Lorenzo Cain's offensive production has just taken a, a huge step back this year. Because I think having him at the top when he's kind of going really right. Uh, that kind of sets everything up for for the guys behind him, especially against lefties. Yeah, I mean, he did such a great job of getting on base. He, for a good portion of last year, was up over a 400 on base percentage. So he was an ideal leadoff hitter last year, like a guy you wanted setting that table for the team. And it's got some speed, too. And, and he had shown that ability in Kansas City as well. That well, didn't come out of nowhere. Well, no, he had increased his walk rate like four or five years running. Yeah. But it kind of plot, it, it peaked in 2018 in Milwaukee. And now it, he still is walking, but the contact is not as good. And he's especially not driving the ball, which is something we've seen up and down the lineup from right-handers. Jesus Aguilar's not driving the ball with authority. Braun, it goes in, in stretches. Like, he'll have some times when he really is driving with authority, and then he won't. Uh, you know, it, it really is. They, they have that issue on the right side. And like James was saying, that is a big part of why 
they've struggled against left-handers this year compared to you think about kind of the classic Brewers teams of 2008 2011 they would mash the hell out of righty or lefties because of all the right-handed power hitters they had in the lineup you know Corey Hart Ricky Weeks yeah it was all right-handed power except for Prince Fielder yes and so they could be susceptible to righties which is you know if you're going to be susceptible to one side of the plate be susceptible to lefties because they they make up a quarter of the pitchers in big leagues instead of three well, quarters. Except when you're playing like, well, apparently the Padres and or you're playing the Cubs. Because the Cubs can throw a bunch of lefty starters at you. Yeah, it's not a it's not an ideal matchup, though. The Brewers are, you know, they've they've held their own against the Cubs this year. So, yeah. So uh, the Brewers did try to kind of rearrange the lineup a little bit to get a little more production, you know, with Kane struggling. And they batted Yasmani Grandal at leadoff once or twice. Uh, it was just on Saturday. Was it just Saturday? Okay. Uh, and we have a question from PB Brew Crew. He says, will we see Yaz consistently bat leadoff? His on base this year seems like a way better fit for the spot than Kane's. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it probably comes down to whether internally the Brewers think Lorenzo Kane is legitimately, you know, falling you know, out of his prime years, or if they see sort of a rebound there with him, because if, if this is going to be the guy that Kane is over the rest of the season, then he absolutely should not be leading off. He should be hitting in the bottom third, probably, uh, if this is the player he's going to be. But, um, you know, I mean, most projection systems see him rebounding to some extent uh, with the OBP. I don't, I don't think he's going to get to where Grandal is. Uh, so I, I, I think it makes sense, at least in the short term, to kind of go with that. But I, I'm really not sure whether the Brewers think that this is just a rough first half for Kane or if this is the, the new normal for him. Yeah, if he stays like this, I think actually if they decide to start doing the batting the pitcher eighth thing on a regular basis, I could see him being a nine hitter because he sort of fits that profile of like the extra leadoff hitter, though his on base percentage isn't great when he is on base he's valuable in that way. So maybe that's like a fallback option that he could end up there. I know on Saturday it was Grandall, right? Or uh, I'm sorry, Gamble was in the nine spot, I believe. But they basically the idea is, and they talked about this on the broadcast, the idea of batting your pitcher eighth and putting somebody else in the nine spot is it gives you sort of an extra guy potentially on in front of Yelich. It gives you a better chance to have runners on in front of Yelich by putting two batters because the, the lineup becomes a circle, obviously. So by having that guy two spots in front of Yelich, you do increase the chances that you're going to have more runners on for him, which at this point is something they obviously really would like. And they don't want to move Yelich down to the three hole because that means fewer at bats for him over the course of a season. And it's just a better spot for the best hitter in the lineup to be. You'd like to have them coming up second, especially a guy like Yelich who gets on base so much on in his own right. Like he's kind of an ideal number two hitter in our current understanding of lineup construction. He's an ideal wherever you want to put him in the lineup kind of hitter. Because he yes. hit what is thirtieth the other day? Twenty ninth. Twenty ninth. I mean, by the time I, people are listening to this, there's a good chance it's thirty. Well, exactly. I'm I'm anticipating. <laughs> Uh, well, he came just short of his 30th. That's what it was. Yeah, he hit it to the warning track on Saturday. So uh, that's one where the juice ball just wasn't quite juiced enough. No, not but quite. But he's also hit enough. some, what, 400? One was 447 in San Diego, and then didn't he hit one like 467? He's hit some mammoth uh, blasts. The one uh, the one he hit off Tanner Roark uh, was 
maybe the the fastest I've seen a home run that was 450 plus feet get out of a park. I mean, that was just insane. Non Ricky Weeks division. Yeah, <laughs> you had one. Yeah, you had a Ricky Weeks a bomb like go right over your head, didn't you? Steve, yeah, you and we were and... deep. We were deep in the uh, outfield bleachers, but he, yeah, it was like a liner that came out there. So we've seen, yeah, I've seen plenty of that. But Yelich, we don't need to spend a lot of time on the fact that Christian Yelich has been ridiculous. Maybe we should, though, because maybe that would make everybody feel better. Like, Christian <laughs> Yelich is, like, in just, you know, absolute, like, video game mode right now. And yeah, it's fun. I did want to touch on, you know, Lorenzo Cain's a guy who, just kind of scanning over his career, is a 340, 350 BABIP guy. And right now he's under 300. Is there something about the contact he's making when he does put the bat on the ball? Um, is that kind of where his struggles at? Because as far as his his you know on base related to his uh, batting average stuff like that, it all seems pretty consistent. So I mean, is he just not driving the ball? Is that the biggest issue right now? I mean, it it looks like his hard hit rate's down a little bit. Uh, you know, he was at 38 percent last year 32 percent this year so that's probably a big part of it he's just not making the same quality of contact but i think the the rest of the batted ball profile looks pretty identical yeah it it's difficult to know at a guy at that age because we're talking about lorenzo kane is now 32 years old correct age 33 season age 33 season guys do slip especially now in the way things work in the game where you're facing this you know tremendous velocity and bat speed is that that much more important to making good contact once you lose a little bit of bat speed it can be a tricky thing to like keep up with that like you're trying to keep up with the guys throwing big velocity and so at that point guys start to get into the the old man skills where you're you're starting the bat a little bit early so you have to kind of guess and anticipate a little bit and so your knowledge of what pitchers are trying to do really comes in to help you and you can stave off some of that bat speed regression but i wouldn't want to say for sure that we're we're headed down that path just yet with him until we see it I would say like the rest of the season well okay and right now he's hitting 253 314 357 it's not going to take an amazing stretch for him to bounce back to what his career norms are. No, and we have to remember, too, that he had probably his second best, I think, if I'm remembering right, he was like his second best season of his career at age 32 for the Brewers last year. Like, we were we were getting kind of an outlier Chris, or, uh, Lorenzo Cain at that point, as it was already. So our expectations probably should have been yeah, a significant I mean, downturn. The baseball prospectus has it as his third best season. Um, he had a couple in Kansas City where he, he he put up similar lines, but he hit with a little bit more power. I suppose in Kansas City is also more pitcher friendly. So, like, well, but it, even last year, which was a really good season, I mean, he had a four seventeen slugging. Like he's he's not a power hitter, so he's not going to bring that. And he had a little bit more pop a few years earlier, but still, you know, again, to bring a three fourteen on base up to you know three forty. Like, I mean, he would need an extended run up. It'll up be a above run. 350. It'll be a run, but that's not like a Herculean effort, would you say? I think that that's doable. I think the question for me is just sort of where where we slot him in the lineup, uh, sort of in the short term, because he was. I mean, he hit cleanup yesterday, which is not where I would want him really at all. Uh, but maybe he, maybe there's some sort of handling. Uh, you know, his, he's, he's a prideful guy. I don't think he wants to hit ninth. 
but if you could get some buy-in from him on that, I think I like that idea quite a bit. Yeah, and they've been, when they've moved him out of the leadoff spot, they've been moving him down to the three spot, which a friend of the pod, Paul Noonan, who's frequently guested for us here, pointed out on Twitter is kind of an interesting choice given the old school kind of, and it's weird to talk about this in terms like old school, but the the old like the book uh, by Tom Tango where they talk about lineup construction and there was a suggestion in there and this is was controversial back you know 20 years ago the idea that the third spot in the lineup is kind of iffy because it's the most likely spot to come up with two on and nobody out so you can get away with like there were there were models that show your best lineup actually puts your pitcher in the three hole because it's the it's the spot where they're least likely to do damage of course, they're also least likely to take advantage of when the guys in front of them are on, then you're, you're screwing that over. But I think there is something to be said for that, that you can move him down to the three spot. They've had Ryan Braun there all year, and Braun has been just sort of fine. And I, yeah, think, I, think, I think you're supposed to have your, your best hitter hitting second, your second best hitter hitting fourth. And then, you know, if, yeah, if you wanted to slot Kane in at third and have, like, uh, Moose hitting fourth, I mean, that... That would make some sense, but I mean, I don't, I don't know why you would give Moose anything to hit if Kane's hitting behind it. Yeah, and I think that if you start constructing it that way, there's plenty of guys. Obviously, if you're going to keep Grandall in the leadoff spot, that's fine. But the way Eric Thames has been hitting, having him behind Mustakis is not a problem. That's that works at least against right-handers. You have to mm-hmm. come up with something different against lefties, but. That that will get into. We've saw once again this week twice on that West Coast road trip. They decided to put Grandall at first base against a right-hander and move Aguilar out of the lineup, which was that's pretty damning. When a guy who basically his only real value at this point is being supposedly able to hit lefties is being taken out of the lineup against lefties. Well, do we want to get into that? What are what are the moves here coming up? Because you know Shaw continues to struggle. Aguilar is not even playing. You know, they made some moves with Nelson and Burns as well this weekend. Nelson gets moved to the bullpen. Burns is sent to AAA. Um, I guess let's start with Aguilar. What do we see going forward? I mean, even in the short term, how long, James, how long do they keep him on the roster if they don't even trust putting him in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, with with him, it's you're you're either keeping him in the majors or you're DFAing him, and I don't think that they, you know, I think they wanted to give him a longer leash than just pulling the plug after May. But I think we are getting to a point here where, you know, whether it's two weeks, three weeks, uh, you know, they might have to pull the plug on that if if they're not, like you said, if they're not starting him against lefties, if he's not performing against lefties, then he really serves no purpose at all on the roster. Uh, I don't really think of Jesus Aguilar and uh, Keston Hira being related necessarily in in terms of how we get Hira back into the lineup because it's not like Hira's coming up to play first base against lefties. You know, he'd be coming up to play every day at second base. Yeah, it would be if you're going to get rid of Aguilar and bring up Hira, it would mean Shaw's basically relegated to mostly a bench role. He might, you might be able to get him in two, three days a week. And I don't know if that's best for him anyway. It, the, the right call could be just to send Shaw down. I don't know that they 
want to do that. I think they've they've shown hesitation to do that. I think that's the call, though. I, I think that it was. Uh, I, I understood the process of of giving Shaw a chance, you know, coming off the injured list to try to, um, you know, sort of round into form, just given uh, the success he's had over the past couple of years and the sacrifices he made uh, last year. I, I think it was it was fair to give him that opportunity, but he has not answered the bell uh, with that opportunity, and he has options remaining. And I think it, at this point, you could look at Travis Shaw in the face and and say, "Hey, man, like." You're just not getting it done. It's it's not that complicated. I don't think it would be that controversial. I don't think his plate appearances have been all that competitive uh, ever since he's come off the injured list. So uh, to me, that's kind of the obvious move. And hopefully he could round into form at AAA. But I don't see him snapping out of anything if you move him to a, a part-time role and bring up Kesson Hira. He's done a pretty decent job walking in in his plate appearances, but when he gets a pitch to drive, there was one on Friday night. It was really obvious. He got a pitch to drive and he just did nothing with it. Well, and that's the issue. He can show, he can show patience at the plate. He could take pitches, but eventually if it gets to that point where he's missing those balls, he's not going to get stuff to just watch go by and get a free base. Pitchers are going to go right at him. Right. And have you, have you guys noticed, like, I, I feel like his bat speed is just not, close to where it was uh, back when he was really performing last year. I feel like he's just getting beat on on decent fastballs uh, a lot this year. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard to tell from either where I sit in Miller Park, which is in the fourth deck, or on TV. It's it's somewhat tricky. Uh, but it would be interesting to see a you know some sort of uh, number on that because it could be. I mean, I think part of it is he's just like missing – meatballs in the zone and not yeah. not making contact with them so i don't know if it's a a swing velocity issue or if it's just he he just doesn't make good contact at the moment it's hard to tell um okay another guy who's really struggling that we were hoping would provide a boost to the team is jimmy nelson he had another bad start again against the reds um issues just finding the zone stuff that's in the zone tends to get knocked around um and like I, I said earlier, he's moving. They they mutually agreed, correct? Right. Yeah, there, there's the quote in there. The quote is, and this was from an Adam McKelvey article. The decision to pull the plug on Nelson as a starter came after President of Baseball Operations David Stearns and Manager Craig Council consulted with the right-hander who had the right to block an optional assignment to the minors by virtue of having more than five years of major league service. Stearns said they discussed a number of possibilities before mutually agreeing to the pen move. Yeah, the mutually agreeing seems kind of sketchy there because he had the ability to deny it. So I think you imagine at least a situation where they sort of felt him out to see like what he wanted to do, knowing that they didn't want to push the issue because he ultimately could say no, and they didn't want to get in a position where, hey, we want to send you down, and he says no, and now you're stuck from a relationship standpoint. Like, what... How do you go forward from that? Yeah. James, do you think being in the bullpen will give Nelson a chance to come out, maybe pitch a clean inning and work to two clean innings, and that can maybe get him back on track to being a successful starter? Man, I, he has not looked good since coming back. Uh, I would I would expect that they would just kind of use him as sort of a mop-up guy out there, and I don't really know if he's qualified for anything more than that. Uh, the fact that his fastball velocity is down like two and a half miles an hour 
uh, from 2017, it it really kind of matches the eye test where I just don't think he, I mean, he looks so hittable right now. I would not trust him in any kind of a high leverage spot at all. So, I mean, if, if they want to just him as a, a guy that comes in, if the starter gets lit up, uh, I think that that's fine. Maybe he can uh, get on track in like sort of low pressure situations like that. But uh, it's really about the stuff. And I don't know how, I mean, the stuff doesn't seem like it's going to get better. And in that case, I just wouldn't trust him in any type of uh, important situation. Okay, hold on. I want to get to this. We have a, a comment on Twitter from Marcus Mergener. I think so, yeah. Uh, he says, I'm pissed at Nelson for refusing to be optioned. If you can't put team first, I don't have room for you. Is that unreasonable or what are your thoughts? It's not unreasonable, unreasonable, but I think it's a little less charitable than you could be in that situation. I think that it's a tricky situation for Nelson because he has put so much work into this and no big time athlete is going to be built to say, yes, I need to go down. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to want to be demoted. Nobody's because they're not wired to think that like I'm failure is like part of what I expect from myself. Like he expects himself to be excellent. And I think there is something there. The one thing I would point to with Nelson that you can hold on to, if you want to believe that maybe a Jimmy Nelson resurgence is coming down the road, he has 13 strikeouts to 12 innings. So he has shown some ability to miss bats at least. The problem is he's also walked 10 batters in those 12 innings, so he has trouble. But I would say you can kind of see, in, and it's hard to know exactly when it's coming, but he has good innings. He's had a number of good sort of dominant innings and then he'll lose it. And when he loses it, he kind of loses it fast. And it kind of falls because in all three of those outings, his, his last inning was a disaster inning where he walked a bunch of guys and he walked himself into trouble, but it wasn't that he was doing that so much before outside of those times, he wasn't, he was missing bats. He wasn't missing the zone. So I think that, there's something at least that he could potentially build on. The question for me is, is it better that he do that? Like James said in mop-up duty. And I don't know how that's going to work for him because everything we've heard about Jimmy Nelson is that he's a routine oriented guy. He wants to know when he's going to pitch and be ready to go and all that. So I feel like they're going to have to kind of have, don't him. they say that about every, doesn't every starter say that, <laughs> but they make up like the literally every starter says that. I know. And it's, it's almost like, Oh, I'm a routine guy. You can't take me out of the rotation. Well, the way they talk about it with Nelson, they, it, and it, it gets talked about by pretty much everybody who's like in contact with the team. I believe it in this case that he is very much like set into his routine, which, as I was going to say, the problem that presents then is you kind of need to like tell him in advance, okay, we think we're going to try to get you into this game. And then if the situation doesn't present itself, you would just have to kick that to the next day. But it's difficult to imagine them being able to make that work in a mop-up role, right? Because if you're going to kind of plan in advance on him coming into the game in the late innings, you don't know if it's going to be a mop-up situation or if it's going to be a tight situation. You don't really know. So I think that that can be difficult. And they may go significant amounts of time. Hopefully they go significant amounts of time without a lot of mop-up duty needed. So he's gonna if he's in the bullpen, he's going to have to pitch, and they're going to have to give him at least some run in games that matter. 
And that's going to be dicey, I think, the way that he's going right now, because you just don't know if he's going to blow up and all of a sudden you're now, you've given up three, four, five runs. Yeah, James, now his, uh, you, you noted his fastball velocity is down, but is he also having an issue just with his uh, off-speed pitches? Like, is he not getting the breaking needs to on him? Is it a location issue? Because right now his ground, ground ball percentage is at 36%, and his career, he's 50, 52, 52, 51. So is, is it his whole repertoire right now that's completely off? It's more than just, you know, the, the ability to be kind of that big arm pitcher he was earlier in his career. I think it's just everything plays off the fastball. And when the fastball is, you know, full, probably a full grade lower than it was in 2017, uh, the, the off-speed stuff's just not going to play the way that it was. And uh, the ground ball, yeah, the ground ball thing is is definitely interesting. Uh, could just be that we're dealing with 12 innings. and um, But, I mean, he, he wasn't generating a ton of grounders at, at AAA either. Um, so, I, I mean, maybe all the stuff is just uh, not as good as it once was. But it just, to me, it still really starts with the fastball and the fact that he went from having a really reliable – fastball that he could locate early in the count and that he could get swings and misses on uh to having one that i think is is pretty hittable right now yeah that that sounds about right to me i mean there is something still there i i would point to the the strikeouts but it's just when it's not when that isn't happening when he's not missing a bat the bat seems to be hitting him pretty hard. Well, but so. he's got a bunch of crazy stats because yes he's striking guys out but he's walking a ton of guys and he's giving up a ton of hits Yes. I mean, there's just like, every, yeah, it just seems his, it's a sensory overload watching Jimmy Nelson start right now because just so much stuff happens. And there are kind of moments where you're like, oh, well, maybe this will be all right. And then it just freaking explodes in your face and completely falls apart. Well, and he does lose the zone completely at times. He had, what, 12 straight balls to end that, uh, his second start yeah. against the Giants. Like that just, you can't do that and not get punished in today's game. Because the hitters are just too good, and they're gonna, they will eventually. When you do come into the zone, they're gonna tattoo you. I, I think it's the strikeouts can be misleading with a guy like this because I think a lot of hitters are just so excited to go up there and face him, seeing the stuff that he's throwing, and they're taking uh, all or nothing swings. So that that's gonna lead to some strikeouts. But I mean, to me, just he's getting hit so hard. Guys are just really. Uh, excited to face him right now. I, you know, he's got a, a 378 um, Babip. I mean, when when guys and to me that that seems it kind of it matches sort of what I'm seeing with you know when guys connect against him, it's just it's it's going far. They're hitting it really hard, so you're going to get some strikeouts uh, in that scenario. And he's got a deep enough arsenal to where you know you would expect the strikeouts to still be there, but I don't necessarily look at his strikeouts and and see sort of that as a a light at the end of the tunnel situation it just it doesn't seem like the stuff is that good yeah i mean it's definitely not what it was and he's gonna have to adjust to the new reality and the question is is triple a the place for that or is the major leagues the place for that because the way that they run their team they don't have a lot of room for just having a mop-up guy in, in the back of the uh bullpen no, but I, I am curious to see, okay, go out for an inning and let it rip. Yeah, maybe that helps. 
maybe that can get him on track. We'll see. Uh, so we do have a Patreon question from Paul Noonan, and he asks, do we underestimate the knock-on effect of starting pitching breaking down? Uh, given that the Brewers are bullpen first, disaster charts can screw them for days. Reliability is almost certainly lowering the ceiling for them. I mean, the thing about this is the way they run their bullpen and the way they rotate players between AAA and the major leagues, I don't know that it's it's that huge of an issue in terms of tiring out the bullpen because those guys are getting rotated back and forth and they have a stable of guys that they can call on. Now, not all of them are great. And maybe that, that does, you know, expose you know, the Taylor Williams and Jacob Barnes of the world a little bit more than you would like. But compared to what it would be if they were uh, like, yes, Josh Hader doesn't come in when there are disaster starts. No, Josh Hader doesn't. And really, if they had been using Hauser, Hauser actually pitched in a game where they were down. He pitched uh, in that game in San Diego. And he gave them a, a really solid, I think it was like over three innings. And he did really, really well in that role. And now on Saturday, he came in to protect a one-run lead for an inning in the seventh inning. And we'll see if that's kind of where they're headed going forward or – Maybe if they're headed a different direction, I know we have a question about it, so I'll wait on that. But yeah, James, do you have any views on uh, how all of these starts are affecting the bullpen? Because again, yeah, Hater doesn't get used. Hauser's been kind of a if it's a, a mediocre start, but they can hang in the game. He seems like the guy that they can bring in for it, and then everybody else just kind of fills in from there. We don't feel like there's many defined roles, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the relievers who have been good this year are still pitching really well, and I would expect them to still pitch well over the rest of the season. There have been some guys who just haven't been that good this year. I mean, uh, I feel like every single time I see Alex Claudio come in, he gives up a run in like less than five minutes. Um and so I think no, that there's... He, he pitches pretty slow. I think it takes more than five minutes, but it's just a slow <laughs> train crash when it happens. I, I definitely think that the, you know, we, we talked about the juice ball uh, with Yuli Chassin. This is not a rotation uh, that is sort of set up to have as much success this year as they did last year. I mean, I think it's, it's really kind of a shame that we're at a, at a point where Brandon Woodruff is treated like uh, the ace and like it's just so much pressure on him to have a good start every single time out. And just given where he's at in his development, I don't think that that's uh, a realistic expectation. I think more it'd be it'd be better if we were looking at Brandon Woodruff as like the third best pitcher on this team. Uh, but he's just the default ace and the guys behind him, I just don't. Um, well, does that you know, does that fall on Woodruff partly because like he actually has the stuff to back it up? You know, when Zach Davies is pitching well, or even Chassin has pitched well, you don't look at him and say like, "Yeah, these guys can go out and like shove it every game." They have the stuff to do that. Where Woodruff goes out there, you're talking about a guy who's sitting in the upper 90s. Uh, you know, he's got mm-hmm. the other pitches to to back it up. You know, he's got a changeup he can throw to get guys out as well. Um, I I mean, is part of that just the perception that Woodruff can actually take that step? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's – he's de- – I mean, obviously, from a stuff standpoint, he's leaps and bounds ahead of uh, the rest of these guys we're talking about. Um, but I just – I think, ideally, if if you – you know, in a, in a perfect world, 
you're not looking at Brandon Woodruff as just this ace that you need to ride uh, to the playoffs. You're you're hopefully just looking at him as this up and coming starter who is really exciting, but there might be a couple other guys in the rotation that you can lean on just as heavily. I think it's just kind of an unfortunate thing where there's such a big gap to me between him and the next best uh, guy in that rotation right now. Yeah, Davies has outperformed what you would expect him, but he has been to this point, like in terms of run prevention, at least he's been better than Woodruff has been. But how long that's going to last, based on what his stuff is and what and we kind of know about, he's had a little bit of rough go of it lately. He did. He's in his last, I think, three starts. He's had two pretty not good ones. Do we so. want to call them regression starts? Yeah, I mean, he, it's definitely because he part was. Of the deal. I mean, he had a sub. Was he sub two? In, for his ERA for a while, for a long while, yeah. And I mean, he's still under three. Mm-hmm. I, I think mean, it's possible, like it's it's possible for Davies to be pitching a little over his head and still be better than maybe uh, sort of the national pundits might think. I mean, I, I've had a lot of people that I follow on Twitter who are not Brewers fans you know, are just screaming regression with Zach Davies. I don't think he's just the type of guy where you look at the strikeouts, you look at the walks and you say, oh, well, he's actually more of like a two talent five ERA guy. I think he's better than that. I think he's better than a lot of people give him credit for, but I still think he was pitching a little over his head over the first couple of months. Yeah, that just seemed like the bar he was setting was so high that most guys aren't going to maintain that. Yeah, non-Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, people don't generally hold up to like, what was it, mid-ones ERAs for a season. Like, yeah, it was always going to regress. But I I agree with James that there is more there than like the the peripherals probably suggest. But we'll see. I mean, uh, DRA does not love him. Actually really does not like him much at all. So they're not DRA is, is meant to kind of pick up on things like that where maybe a guy is like a weak contact guy like that's sort of a purpose of DRA is to pick up on those guys and it's not necessarily buying that either so we'll see where he is the thing with Davies is when it works it it obviously it looks great and you he just can mow through a lineup when it's bad you kind of get a feeling quickly and I think in a better situation in a more idealized world they would maybe have a little quicker hook on him when he's bad and would go okay it wasn't working today all right we'll try again next time and they bring in Hauser right but I they don't have that luxury right now they don't have the luxury because of what else is going on in that and maybe going back to Paul's original question here maybe there is a knock-on effect in that they have to rely so heavily on the guys that have been good like like uh, Woodruff and Davies that they can't manage things in the ideal way that they would maybe like. So maybe that's the knock on effect. I don't yeah. Know. But we, we haven't even talked about like Chase Anderson who continues to get starts and uh, do we not notice them or we just expect something so blah okay. or poor that we don't care. Okay. So that start on Friday night, this is my, my rant. Uh, that start was not a bad start. He gave up six runs and he probably deserved to give up like one or two. It was a host of Derek Dietrich chicken winging for uh, for hit by pitches and uh, a couple of critical like close calls going against him. And I know it's going to happen. Like Joey Votto is going to get a call on three two that maybe he shouldn't get, but like that stuff. And then Jose Iglesias going four for four with like no hard contact at all, like just bloops. And I think he broke a couple bats and like, it let's, was, let's not get into that. I know it was just the it, that, worst start. That stuff happens. Let's, it does happen, but let's like, let's not go bleacher nation on this. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, 
I know it does happen, but I think that my, the point here is that even though Chase Anderson's last start was bad by most standards that people would use, I don't think he actually pitched that badly. And so I think, but it seems to keep happening to him. No, not necessarily. Before I mean, that well, outing, he, he had a four-year. Even year if you a. take away, even if you take away the that start against the Reds, he's got like a like a five-eight ERA over the three previous ones against the the Giants, Pirates, and the, the Marlins. I mean, I I don't okay. think he's been a positive contributor uh, over his past four or five starts. Yeah, he's he's kind of a tough one to watch at this point, and hopefully. I don't know, Geo Geo's gonna start throwing again. So maybe he can come back and provide a little bit of a, a lift there. Yeah, and they're talking about him back potentially before the all-star break. He seems to be coming through the dead arm phase relatively well. So I'm in the dugout yesterday celebrating with the team. So like he's around. He hasn't gone on his uh rehab outings yet. No. So so uh okay, so we had a bunch of questions from Jay Google about who they should send down or option or whatever. And we already talked about Shaw and Aguilar, et cetera. So uh, the last part of that, he says, uh, would the Brewers be better off uh, sending Burns down to figure out his stuff as a starter rather than sit in the pen? They sent him down, I guess. James, you want to take this first? What's the plan with Burns? Like, what is he the rest of the season and, I guess, career outlook? Is it just a matter of getting him back into the mode of being a starter again? He's so tough to figure out because I I love Corbin Burns still I'm not uh, jumping off of that bandwagon I think that I'm, I'm optimistic for what he could be for them in 2020 uh, I, I wonder if this is just going to end up looking like a completely lost year for him just based on sort of the way it started and, and sort of the uncertainty of what his role has been kind of over the past uh, a couple months, I, I still think there's a really good starting pitcher in there somewhere. I just don't know. It, it just doesn't seem like we're trending towards unlocking that in the immediate future at all. Yeah, I'm not optimistic that it's going to be unlocked this year. And if you do send him down and try to do that, you've sort of committed to it. And it's going to be hard then to pull the plug on it and bring him back up for the bullpen, which I think right now he's kind of an important piece of that. And if you look at his game logs since going to the bullpen, it's wild because really outside of uh, it's like five games, he's been like dominant. And then when he blows up. Well, but how many how many appearances is that? Uh, five out of 15? Uh, I'm, I'm it's, trying closer, to look it's closer to 20. But yeah. But I mean, a quarter of his appearances, if he if he's a guy that blows up, I don't, I don't know if I'd consider that. Well, the thing is, because he's going multiple innings in most of those outings, it does. He he brings that to the table as a a guy who can dominate when it's right, when it works, he is dominant, and when it doesn't work, it blows up. I don't know how you work that into the framework of a contending team. Uh, I think it's something that it's easier to do when you're not contending. And it, it becomes much more tricky when you're trying to go out and win games. And the way that they have to manage things, he can't just be used in low leverage. You can't bring him up and just use him in low leverage. They really don't have the... That, they have Jimmy Nelson for that now. Right. And it's they really don't have the luxury for it for anybody, just the way they run things. So guys have to be 
able to come in and be good in tight situations. And he can be, or he can, you know, torch a game for you. So it, it's tricky. I would lean at this point towards just keep doing what you're doing with him. But what is the plan with him in, in AAA? He, he's going to continue to relieve, and you bring him back up when his 10 days are up, when he's spent his time in AAA that he has to spend to be sent down. And then he comes back up and you use him again. And if he's going well, you keep him up here. And if he has a blow up, you send him down. That's yeah. kind of been the plan for him to this point. And okay. Uh, James, we've got a question from SoCal Brew Crew fan. He says, what are realistic options to improve the pitching staff? Is it the starters? Well, I guess he wants the pitching staff across the board, improved starters and bullpen, which <laughs> that's, that's kind of a tall order, isn't it? Like, are there internal options that they need to use right now to do that? Or is it time to start hunting outside the organization? Uh, I mean, I think short of maybe giving Freddie Peralta another look, uh, they are pretty much going to have to look outside the organization. It hasn't been, uh, you know, I don't know what Zach Brown's done over his last couple of weeks at AAA, but uh, he just isn't really looking like a guy that's that's quite ready to be an upgrade over even a guy like Freddie Peralta. Um, so I, I think you're really looking at the the trade market, and I think that they are going to give uh, you know guys like Anderson, um, Chassin, maybe even Freddie Peralta. They're going to give them uh, up until close to the trade deadline to kind of sort of see what they have, but I really think you're you're going to have to look outside the organization if you want some meaningful upgrades in that rotation. Yeah, uh, we have a question from Olsperge on Twitter, and he says, uh, would you like to see Hauser move to the starter role uh, this season or next, I guess? I definitely want him to start at some point, and if they were to do it this year, I could see the wisdom. If they're convinced that he can turn over a lineup that second and third time, which is what he would need to be able to do to be a successful starter and to have it make sense to like take him out of the bullpen equation because he is so valuable in what he's doing right now in the bullpen that I don't think you necessarily want to lose that if you aren't real confident that what you're going to get out of him in the rotation is good because he did struggle to turn over lineups when we've seen him in kind of brief stints in the rotation before now. So I would they would have to feel really good about that to potentially lose that now long term i absolutely want to see him get a chance to start i think that may be more of a next year thing than a this year thing at this point when they can go out and Corey canable will be back and they can potentially go out and do other things in the bullpen well, as well scene's gone next year right uh we don't know what's going to happen with geo we don't know what's going to happen with jimmy nelson like it i think that you can you can look more for that next year. I think right now he's so good in the bullpen and what he's doing that it would be hard for me to just pass on that and take what's behind door number two unless they felt really confident he could do it well. So, yeah. Uh, James, we have a question from SDJ Wisconsin, WI. Uh, he asks, who's the Brewers most likely trade bait for later uh, later season additions? Does the crew have enough solid prospects to trade for a meaningful starting pitcher while retaining Kesson Hira? And do they need to? I don't know. Does that mean do they need to trade Hira or do they just need to make a deal? Because I think 
everybody would agree that they would need to go out and get somebody. Yeah, they they actually I think they do have the pieces behind Keston Hira to go get an impactful starter. They might not be able to shop at the very, very top of the market, like a, a guy like Matt Boyd, who's pitching really well and is under team control for three more years, like that might be out of their price range. But, you know, any of the Indians guys, Bumgarner, Strowman, Mike Miner, like those types of guys, I think they have the ammo to go get. Uh, I and think th- those are all rentals, right? Uh, I'm not sure about Strowman. I know Miner and Bumgarner and the and Trevor Bauer; those guys would be rentals. Well, Trevor Bauer has uh, one year after this. He has one additional year. He's kind okay. of the, he's kind of the tricky one, and I wonder. I know is it an op- is it an option? He just has a... another control year. He has okay, one okay. more year before free agency. So, uh, I don't like Trevor Bauer. I really dislike no. him. Um, and so that makes that hard. He is a, an extremely interesting pitcher. Uh, he is like created himself from nothing and is a really good, I think guy like in terms of understanding how to pitch, like he could be really important that way for them. And I think they could actually learn from him having him in the organization. Hold on, hold on, hold but, on. Let's not get into this. Bring him in and he'll have that kind of, like he'll teach the rest of the pitchers as well. Kind of I, Not necessarily the other pitchers, the organization though. Like having him around, he's, he's it's crazy. You're saying Trevor Bauer is that much more advanced than what the organization has as a whole? I think he knows stuff that almost nobody else knows about pitching. It's really, sorry, I'm in the midst of the MVP machine and it's, it's wild what he has done with his career. Um, but I just don't know that getting back to like the practical side of it, if you, he could be a huge impact guy for them if they brought him in as much as I hate him. But the problem is why would the Cleveland trade him to the Brewers with a year of control left unless they got Keston hero? Like, I don't see, they would have to get such a return. I don't know what, what would you stack up like the next like five guys and that would be enough for Cleveland. Like that's hard. So I, I think that, uh, Mario Feliciano and Bryce Terang and even uh, Eduardo Garcia in the Dominican Summer League, I think those are guys that certain front offices are going to look at as absolutely prized uh, prospects. I mean, Feliciano, I think, has become one of the top catching prospects in the minors, and, and teams are going to really value what he brings on both sides of the ball. Bryce Durang, obviously a up the middle guy who's performing. Uh, they've got a, a handful of guys in the on the complex leagues and the Dominican Summer League and, and the Arizona League that are lottery tickets that would work as nice like second or third pieces in a deal. They've got guys like Aaron Ashby and Drew Asmussen who you could throw in as like a second piece in a deal like that. So uh, I, it, it's gonna be a buyer's market. It, it's been that way. Uh, for the past few seasons, I think in large part because you have these juggernaut teams like the Dodgers and the Astros and the Yankees where it kind of, you know, it it sort of lessens the amount of teams that really think they have a shot. So I think it's going to be a buyer's market, and I think that they have enough uh, up-the-middle guys that that teams are going to really covet that they could go get Trevor Bauer without Kesson Hira being involved, but it would just kind of, 
gut the that next wave of guys in that system. You'd be looking at probably having a bottom five, maybe even a bottom three system in the majors once Kesson Hero loses his prospect status if you went out and made a, a deal like that. I'd really be interested to see, because I think part of it is if Cleveland particularly loves one of those guys, like if they value uh, Feliciano as like a massive catching prospect, then yeah, I could see it potentially. I do wonder though, to your point about it being a buyer's market, it's been a buyer's market the last couple of years. Uh, that's absolutely true. We'll see this year what emerges on that front because the National League has so many teams that are contending. I mean, you have in the, the between the East, like I don't think the Mets or the, the Nats necessarily think they're out of it. And in the Central, you've got obviously the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Cubs. And out West, I, the Dodgers are running away with the division, but I think there are other teams there that are going to be more buyer than seller. Uh, like Arizona, I don't think it's necessarily going to sell off. I don't think San Diego, maybe they'll sell off some hitters, but not pitching probably. So I think we'll see what emerges in the market this year because I think there are enough teams in the National League because the National League has changed will, so will much. They go, but will they go in or will they just kind of like hang out and hope that the team goes on a run? Because I think some teams get in that position where they're like, oh, we're in it. We're glad we're in it, but we think a year or two down the road is going to be more important. And maybe the Brewers are in that boat too. Maybe they say, hey, look, we're – we're kind of still trying to break in all these pitchers. I don't, I can't picture. I think the Brewers are going to be one of the more aggressive teams at the deadline, just given where like their three best players are in the absolute middle of their primes, like Yelich, uh, Moustakis, Grandal. Like you, you don't sit around and, and wait for next year uh, when you've got those three guys uh, playing the way they're playing right now. Uh, whereas like a team like the Atlanta Braves, I could see them kicking the can down the road because they've just got such a great young core uh, that they might not want to weaken that to make a run if, if they think that the, the Dodgers and uh, you know the NL Central teams are maybe better than them uh, even after they make that move. And like a team like the Padres, like I, I don't see them uh, sacrificing you know a bunch of their top prospects to go to go get someone. I feel like the and the Cubs are going to be the the most aggressive players at the deadline on the on the NL side. Yeah, I mean, and then it gets into a question of like David Stern's history has been more. Even last year, when the Brewers were very much in the thick of it, they added, but they added like between the two deadlines, they added six guys, but none of them were huge, massive impact pieces. It was more like we're bringing in complementary parts, kind of around the team to try to add to what we're doing. And then Mustakis. It's weird to think of Mustakas as kind of a complimentary part, but last year when they brought him in, he kind of was. They were trying to see how he would fit into the the whole scheme of what they. Yeah, he they was did. kind of like, oh, he's not really exciting, but we're adding a piece. Right, and they haven't gone at the top of the market in David Stern's tenure yet. And I'm interested to see what that might look like, and if they decide to finally do that, I think there's sort of a sense around Brewer fandom, given our history. You know, when the Brewers are in it. And this goes all the way back to 1982. You go out and you add a big-time starter. Don Sutton, CC Sabathia. Um, they did it before the season in 2011 with Grinky and with Markham. But I think there's sort of a feeling in Brewer fandom that that's what you do. When, when you're good, you go out and you add a, a stud starter. And that's just sort well, of like because the Brewers can never The Brewers never have their own pitching. 
except this time through, they've done a better job of it than they have in the past. This team is much more, they've, they've done a better job of developing pitching than uh, probably hitting at this point. So, because most of their hitters, you look at. You, well, that's you name because the they won't call up Kesson Hira. Well, yeah, sure. When you name the best hitters on the team, they're all pretty much trade guys or guys you brought in via free agency. Like they're they're not guys. That and Kesson Hira in AAA. Yes, he is the exception. He whom, was the, whom they drafted and developed. Well, yeah, they drafted him in the top ten, so they 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 did that. But for the most part, I mean, Orlando Arce is the only other guy who is homegrown. Like it's RC and, and Keston here are the two guys who are who are homegrown at this point. So they've been better. Their their pitching staff is much more homegrown than their their hitting is at this point. I so. don't know if that's good or bad. So um, <laughs> we're gonna wrap this one up uh, for the week. So uh, James, again, thanks for joining us this week. We really appreciate it. And where can we read your stuff? Uh, you can go to rotowire.com slash pod and you can get a free 10-day trial without a credit card uh or you can just follow me on twitter at real anderson i tweet out all the all the stuff i do there so it's a it's a good place to find everything yeah so make sure you go check out all of that uh and remember that you can join our patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mke tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level and above will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate you can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our facebook page for milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast any last thoughts ryan nope okay. hopefully they keep winning Keep winning after that one. After the one. Hey, you got to get a streak. Yeah. So, um, hey, don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, we should be available. Uh, You can also leave reviews, and that helps people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. felt like we were at a point where we could have just talked forever with the rest of the questions we had yeah i mean we hit on most of these topics we got most of them well the and then one the you guys David kept going leader i was going to do that but then we kind of kept going into other stuff yeah. um where he asked about grandall and moustakis but i have a feeling that that's going to be an issue for the rest of the season yeah actually i'm interested on, for your take on that james if you can bring one back who are you more interested in bringing back? Because I know Jim and I talked about it last week. He was more interested in Moustakis, and I was like, mm-hmm. I think catching is the one. I, I'd i probably bring Grandal back, but I don't really see why they can't bring them both back. Uh, I mean, I, I really think the pitching situation would be even more dire if we didn't have Grandal. I mean, I think he 